talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing Our show, we're here now in 2022 We take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing from a bit more of a modern leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And we are to discuss the episode 365, which is referring to the number of days left in the Bartlett administration, as Leo so hev- helpfully lays out for us at the end of the episode. And Leo is a good jumping off point here, because this episode is sort of narratively focused on him, even if he is not sort of the main character of it, but basically Leo has come back to the White House to actually, quote-unquote, work for a day. Uh, his work mostly <laughs> consists of watching old States of Unions and speeches. It's it's really perfect for, like, it's a it's an old dude who's just there to kind of putter around the office and yeah. seem busy. Yeah, it's perfect you know, for that kind of thing, exactly. So he's he tries to schedule meetings with all of our mains, you know, Kate and... Will and CJ and all that, but they're all too busy and, you know, White House stuff keeps coming up where they're like, oh, Leo, it's so great you're back. I can't wait to talk to you. Beep, 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 beep. Uh-oh, my pager. Uh, Bolivia's having a thing. Bye. And, like, they all kind of peel off in the early meeting within, like, five minutes. But they're like, no, we will totally make time for you, Leo. And it kind of becomes this running subplot of them all constantly brushing him off until the end where they finally do meet. Yeah, so... Leo, I think in this context, is the the writers are attempting, if I'm looking at this from like a highbrow concept, mm-hmm. it's like a, like an attempt to do a changing of the guard thing. Because, mm-hmm. because it's obviously, you know, out of, I mean, eight years, you're in your last year of this administration. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, what you're trying to do here is say... I, I don't know, go back and do an after-action report. Like, what, have, what did right. we accomplish? What did we fuck up on? And stuff. And, Precisely. And the idea if I'm being honest, is fine. It's just mm-hmm. because this show is so fucking Sorkin-brained, the thing that Leo wants to do to take stock is, like, interview speechwriters. Mm-hmm. And watch the old speeches. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Who, who fucking cares? Yeah, why don't we take I, stock of, like, where the country actually is right yeah. now at the moment? <laughs> like, go look at some BLS statistics or something, right. dumbass. He doesn't, get, he doesn't ask for any of that. And to be fair, all of that is available to him, <laughs> you know? They're like, yeah, they're like, Leo, what do you need? He's like, I just want the old speeches. I literally just want to watch all the old speeches so that later on I can be like, remember when Bartlett said those words, you guys? We, we, we should do that. We should do what he said in those words. And and so kind of just at the very top, we go home to the West to the West Wing, the White House, from mm-hmm. the campaign trail with mm-hmm. Josh and Matt Santos. Yep. They're gone and this episode. Like just see you later for the time being. And basically your first comment here is that we made the reverse comment last time we recorded and said, Hey, this is a new like this is kind of fresh. This is nice to get some, you know, off location energy going back into the show. And turns mm-hmm. out Getting sucked back into the White House is like, nope, energy gone. Yeah, it's like a complete 180, just total (laughs) negation of all the fresh energy that we got from the nice New Hampshire episode with the primary and and Santos and Josh. Nope, all of that gone as we just like drag everything back, not just to the White House, but just like 
to the idea that we can't do anything and we're not getting anything done. And it's just a rehash of let Bartlett be Bartlett, but now with like a time pressure frame to it. Yeah. So there's, you know, within the gag of everybody avoiding Leo, it, it almost like it doubles up on driving home the point that this is all just kind of navel gazing. Right. And that because, he's old and useless. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and I, I would guess I'm fundamentally confused because are we supposed to envision Leo, as I said earlier, as like a changing of the guard thing? Like, he's the old head, like, he's the wizened sage here to to pluck these threads out and pass them along to a new generation. Are. I think, but, yes. It, and then the whole episode is spent on showing the viewer that it's just like, no, we don't give a shit. Uh, right. Sorry. Well, I think okay. I think sort of the arc of the episode is meant to be that they're all fucking up by ignoring Leo, and then when he finally gets them in the room at the end, and he has like the big moment that like Leo has you know ma- served his purpose now, hmm. like he got them to like notice that you know there's only a year left, you know, like the yeah, and and to a degree they have spent some time setting it up as like without Leo plugged in the administration is sort of just like it's sort of static yeah Mm -hmm. and i guess i can see where and to your actually to your point now when i'm looking at it it's like yeah okay so when you actually get leo to to click back in with these people Mm -hmm. then we can have this surge going forward to finish it out right but but it all ultimately falls flat because they in their final bit here where they're like oh we should get serious about healthcare and like we should, you know, really win the war on drugs, and they start making all these giant, huge, policy, ambitious goals that nothing's going to happen on. I, and also, I, I think I'm actually I'm going to go find a clip and put it in right here to juxtapose the speech at the end of Let Bartlett Be Bartlett and this moment, and so I'm going to let this play for a little bit. Listen up. Our ground game isn't working. We're going to put the ball in the air. If we're gonna walk into walls, I want us running into them full speed. What are you saying? Well, you can start by telling the Hill the president's named his nominees to the FEC. And we're gonna lose some of these battles. And we might even lose the White House, but we're not gonna be threatened by issues. We're gonna put them front and center. We're gonna raise the level of public debate in this country. And let that be our legacy. Stu's note, okay, so maybe the content wasn't very similar between these two clips, but the spirit is the same. And no, I am not misremembering. Here comes season six. So keep in mind, this is five years after the clip that you just heard. Busy day around here today. What'd you spend it on? Uh, Bolivia. Well, no, you spent it on a situation in Bolivia, a crisis. I understand that gravitational pull. When Korea pokes a hole in the fence, it gets your attention. As do whiny cabinet members, floods, and new employment figures. Pretty soon, it's the whole day. Problem is, we're running out of them. That's how much time we have left. We have the ability to affect more change in a day at the White House then we'll have in a lifetime once we walk out these doors. 
What do you want to do with them? Because I'm pretty sure that it's like, what you, what have you done for five seasons? Right, right. You're you're saying all of these goals again for the second time <laughs> around, but it's been five years I, within the show. Wh- Oh, okay. Great. So, <laughs> any movement? Any any progress there? This is always we come back to this over and over and over again, but even in the fictional world of liberals where they can write themselves achieving anything that they want, they can achieve nothing. Yeah, and I mean to looking at some real-world parallels. I made the remark before we started recording that it's like I've been closely paying attention to politics for 15 years now and Sometimes this phenomenon is manifested so strongly in the real world of the, frankly, the American Democratic Party that I feel like I am fucking crazy because I, I swear to God, we're still, and to put it in concrete terms, we've been talking about a $15 minimum wage for nine years, nine years. The, yeah, the federal minimum wage has been $7.35 for at least a mm-hmm. decade now. A decade. I, I think the last minimum wage hike... 10 or 12 years. ...was, was under like the first Obama administration, at which point... Right, and it was barely anything. It was like two bucks. Yeah. It, went, it went from like five thirty-five to seven thirty-five, kind and, of thing. And frankly, and again, as an adult now, which continues down this theme, it's like... I remember thinking in, I don't know, right before it happened, looking at the minimum wage being five eighty-five, or the fuck it was, and being mm-hmm. like, I'm getting paid, you know, lucky me, I guess, but like, I'm getting paid like 11 bucks an hour to do machine work at this small business that I'm the only employee mm-hmm. of. How the fuck does anybody make it on $5.85 an hour? And now I'm back, it's just like, well, okay, we've had, in the last year, we've had goddamn 11% year-over-year inflation here mm-hmm. and we're dealing with a 2009 minimum wage i just yep it still still at, the, at this point 15 and you know the fight for 15 and got outdated like three years <laughs> yeah, ago no you know and we, now it needs to be the fight for 20 25 30 i don't know but a higher number than 15 certainly and so you get this theme through the episode and it's like and again, much like many West Wing episodes, it wraps itself up in a bow at the end. But the present that the bow is on is just like, really? This is a, is a big pile yeah, of like shit. This sucks. Yeah. And it, not only that, but it's warmed over shit from five years ago when you did this with Let Bartlett Be Bartlett. And we already knew the outcome of that was ultimately nothing. And even like, even the big shit, even the shit of the two-parter, 20 Hours in America, mm. where the, where Josh and Toby and Donna have the big idea about making college cheaper from talking to the regular Americans. And that idea goes fucking nowhere in terms of actual getting legislation passed. So I- it gets cut out for a budget deal, if I recall. And that was, okay, so that was in... That was the first episode of the fourth season of this show. So even since mm-hmm. then, we've had two fucking seasons plus of mm-hmm. nothing happening. Where where nothing gets accomplished of, of major note. Everything is just sort of like patching over... It's it's like uh, it's like uh, running a pirate ship where they're constantly like patching up holes and stuff like that. 
and and oh it's just so hard to keep the ship running and we can't actually do anything like change course or what have you yeah you're you're just you're spending so much of your resources like maintaining the status quo and honestly I think, and this is something that I redound to every single conversation I have these days, where it's, if anybody holds the principles that they profess sincerely, then they are, then if they're in the Democratic Party, if they're in political power right now, they are either lying or completely incompetent, each of which... Yeah, or so incompetent as to not matter. Well, and, and each of which is instantly disqualifying from holding that yes. political office. Like, if right. you, you are impotent, it doesn't matter why, necessarily, you are impotent. Right. If you're corrupt or impotent, it doesn't matter. The The effect is we don't get anything out of you. Yeah. So, so we're going to replace you with someone that we get stuff from, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> and this is, it's... Te- In theory. Well, and it's telling that the first, like, they they... In the original meeting with Leo, they kind of canvass the room and, like, ask about how they are, I don't know, the line, it's, it's like we're taking stock or something. And even, like, mm-hmm, the policy mm-hmm. wonk guys, Ed and Larry, are in the room, and they say that, like, oh, didn't we just have a State of the Union? Which Right. As what, if that's, like, taking stock. Oh, and, and I'm watching, and I'm like, this is a non sequitur. What, like, what <laughs> yeah. are you talking about, dude? Like... Yeah, a State of the Union is a required speech that you use as a PR exercise to uh, to whip up good support for the stuff you've supposedly, quote-unquote, accomplished. It's it's not any sort of evaluative exercise. What are you, I, no. Who, who cares? No, it's a mandatory speech that you have to give to Congress, and it ultimately ends up just being a big PR exercise for the White House. But, like, they, tre- they treat it like they went through with, like, a SWOT analysis. You know, like, that's what the State of the Union is. Like, no, you just drummed up whatever you thought would sound good, and then you put it in a big speech. Yeah, you you take your platitudes and you lump them all together for, like, an hour and a half. Right. Remember the one, two uh, State of the Unions ago where Bartlett wanted to throw in the line about curing cancer because, like, two doctors (laughs) at his wife's party talked about it? (laughs) Yeah, but no, it's a real... We definitely took stock with the State (sighs) of the Union. Yes, correct. And it's just... So, and again, to bring it back around, it's just so Joe fucking Biden. Like, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. we'll cure cancer. This like, is... Mac, who sure. who cares? Yeah. What What do you mean? Yeah. What are you talking about? Why don't, why, why don't you prove to us that you can, like, put your pants on and, like, walk forward <laughs> one foot in front of the other, and then we'll talk about curing cancer, all right? Like, I would honestly... Baby steps here. I would honestly rather have a relapsing, remitting MS patient in office yes because at least then we'd be aware there was a problem (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, like at least there would be talk about like okay well he's having a bad day today so we're not letting him you know have his finger on the nuclear button whereas with biden they just roll them oh it's it's cool yep i'm flipping the coin this morning hope it comes up heads again that mostly uh covers the plot of like the leo section of the episode let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and discuss a couple other subplots in this episode everything's cool in the mind of a gangster because gangster ass niggas think deep up three 
365 AM 24-7 Cause real gangsta ass niggas don't sleep And all I gotta say to you Wanna be, gonna be cocksucking pussy pranksters Is when the fire dies down What the fuck you gonna do? Damn, it feels good to be a gangster <laughs> So one of the issues that ends up distracting the mains from Leo's very important VHS tape watching job <laughs> is the fact that there is apparently a very close election occurring in Bolivia mm-hmm. and the guy who is presumed to win is named Zelaya and Kate Harper's subplot here and to a certain degree like CJ's and the rest of the staffs. Mm-hmm subplot in the episode is how oh no a big scary socialist is about to win election in a south american country right time to time to get all the uh, three letter agencies on the phone and, and <laughs> right. take some steps here <laughs> bring it in guys we gotta do a coup like so um the and so first of all the language around this is just so fucking dated. They just deploy the word socialist and expect people to find to be, it like to, to find it terrifying. Yes, ter- like yeah. The 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 kind of the context in which that specific word is used is hilarious because I'm sure the 48 year olds who are watching this in 2005 are like, oh no, not a socialist. Um, but the other thing that they're doing is like this guy. If he gets elected, he's gonna stop the uh, war on drugs policies Mm -hmm. that we are nominally partnering with the Bolivian government Mm -hmm. to prosecute down there. And then whoopsie daisy turns out some of our definitely not government, government employees (laughs) slash contractors have been kidnapped or some bullshit down in Bolivia. And they're like, well now what? (laughs) I love when I forget who's asking about it, but someone's asking about like, so these guys aren't CIA, right? And like, well, and the CJ's like, or Kate, or Kate or CJ is like, well, uh, I mean, they're like, they're not CIA, CIA, but they're like, they work for them and they're, you know, they're contractors and they've done some bad stuff and maybe we should just like ignore that whole road. Yeah. They, they might occasionally like get rides on CIA planes, but uh, yeah. they may have been involved in like, I don't know, half a dozen operations or something. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. So this is going on, and I just want to say the thing that struck me the most about this subplot is that they chose the name Zelaya as the Bolivian bad guy mm-hmm. thing, and I immediately perked up because um, Manuel Zelaya was the president of Honduras that Hillary Clinton's State Department oh. in 2009. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> and turns out the the actual people in Honduras like him so much that. His wife is now the president. <laughs> so after, after 12 or 13 years of travails, Manuel Zelaya is back in a, the presidential it, as, palace. As first, uh, first, first hombre. gentleman. First hombre. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also um, they have a daughter who is in parliament and she is our age. Oh, wow. good for her. She's cute. Damn. Uh, um, anyway, so... Yeah, that... it's it's a coincidence because this was all filmed like 2004, 2005, and Zelaya didn't take power in Honduras until 2006. Right. So it, I, I mean, also it, like how at the end of the episode, you know, Leo's like, "Yeah, you've all been busy with stuff today." You know, he turns to CJ and Kate, and he's like, "The Bolivia thing." You know, well, 
you weren't busy with Bolivia, you were busy with an emergency that happened in Bolivia. It's like, really, Leo? You're gonna, like, split hairs? (laughs) No, we gotta... I think I get what he's getting at, is, like, we're not talking about, like, top-level Latin America policy. We're just putting out a brush fire. But, which is more to his point. But still, yeah, that they do have to put out brush fires, Leo. That is part of the job. Oh, yeah, and, I mean, so, speaking of kind of the job, I'm, I'm, we're going somewhere with this, because Kate Harper is focused on quite a bit in, in this, this episode. episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've been trying to build her character out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And... You get I get a little background. A, She's been divorced yeah. a couple of times. Uh, yep. she, She's she brings like, up the, she talks about the like, term anniversary, which is great. <laughs> yeah, which is great. <laughs> and they, like, they they kind of you know talk about you know she dresses conservatively and blah 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 and all this stuff. And I think the the it's fine that they want to make her character you know fleshed out and and deeper, but it ends up following the very traditional Sorkin pattern of like, well, what if I wrote a female character as I would write myself in that role? (laughs) Yeah, it's basically the same thing we saw with CJ when she took over the chief of staff thing and she had to deal with, like, the men in the room, like, not respecting her. It's not quite there because Kate gets more respect by default because she's, like, an NSA lady, I guess. Yes, yeah, in the, in the same mean, way that um, who was our previous NSA lady? I'm blanking on her name right now. Oh yeah, um, um, you know who I mean. Uh, yeah, Nancy. She, Nancy McNally got like yeah, a lot of it. default respect because she was like tough, tough lady NSA chief. Whereas like CJ was not like quote unquote tough in that way. In the same way, where you know, basically meaning like. In Sorkin's mind, do you have balls or not? Basically, metaphorical balls. As in, like, will you yell at a four-star general that he's being a fucking dumbass? Well, and this is sort of the... This is the direction I want to take my my train of thought because both <clears throat> Kate Harper and Abby Bartlett's subplot in this episode are essentially just rife with that kind of, like, we need to validate women... as having power and importance by placing them in traditionally masculine settings Mm -hmm. and masculinizing Mm -hmm. their characters as they go wrong. So Mm -hmm. Kate, Kate Harper's here and she's doing a military thing. And like, Mm -hmm. she's knowing about like having to do karate chops and like Mm -hmm. kill man's. Yeah. She she mentions she's had to hold, hold people like captive before. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so, and that's happening, and so, therefore, it's just like, oh, the viewer is meant to understand that Kate Harper's legitimate because she can do man stuff. Exactly. Not just because she has value as a person or certain, I mean, granted, skills in this context are the mm-hmm. same thing, but, like, like a mind of her she, own and interests. She exudes masculine energy in her role. Yeah. Yes. And so... Uh, and then, yeah, that perfectly ties us into Abby... Uh, Bartlett, who is going to a NASCAR event. I, I forget, is it Indy 500, <laughs> Daytona 500? It's one of the big ones. I think it's in North Carolina, so it's okay. at Darlington if they're going anywhere. But, okay. Um, I don't know. They're they're sending her there to do, uh, as Toby puts it, flyover outreach, 
which uh, Kristen Chenoweth correctly calls as being like, hmm, flyover, what does that mean? And Toby's like, oh, it's just a cute term for, you know, they're the states you fly over when you're trying to get to the real places in America. And she's like, hmm, yeah, yeah no wonder they don't like you. <laughs> Imagine that. So, so, yeah, she tries to train Abby on... Uh, all, not how to not make a faux pas at a NASCAR event, basically. And the tack she takes is, uh, Mrs. First Lady, you're actually gonna love it there. Do you know why? The drivers are super hot. It's... I... I, I don't... I don't get I, it. Well, I've, <laughs> I've seen this so many times. I don't and get it on a couple of levels, because A, yes. they're not that hot. <laughs> Yeah, look, speaking as a straight dude, like, uh, you know, I like to know I can tell. I'm like, okay, it looks like a guy. He's like 35. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, she's like <laughs> slapping down these, first first off, black and white photos of these guys, which <laughs> is very weird. And like you said, makes it seem like they have like an Intel file on all the NASCAR drivers. Yeah, they've got the dossiers. <laughs> like it's NASCAR a fucking, drivers. it's a deck of 52 shit here of like, <laughs> and this guy here, oh, he's the, he's the top guy. Uh, so yeah, she's laying out all these photos and she's like, don't you get it, Miss, Mrs. First Lady? They're fucking hot. Do you not get it? Like, is your pussy not fucking exploding? Like, <laughs> Like, you're going to love it. And I'm like, really? This is this is the tack we're taking here of like, hmm, we can objectify all these male drivers. Feminism, yay. Yeah, just it's extreme. And, you know, it's it's very second wave. It's wrapping itself up in the appropriation of male. Hey, women can be norms. gross perverts, too. That's a yeah. quality. In fact, they should be. God damn it. Like, if men treat women badly, women should just go ahead and do it back to them. Yeah. Which, well, I mean, I'll, I'll you like that, of... fellas? Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that is also wrapped up with, like, Kristen Chenoweth taking on this sort of just yeah. awful, Why like, she... Bant-level redneck identity. Why that does she is... become, like, the South Whisperer? Or whatever, because like she has the hint of an accent in her. That's like, it. And I can't, I can't recall whether the show bothered to give us much of a background on her. On yeah. her, uh, probably in that first episode where she showed up, there yeah. was a little bit, but not a lot. But it's just she gets in. A, there's a couple scenes, and she's talking to Toby about this at one point, and just like. She is exhorting the people in the White House to not be condescending mm -hmm. to people that are not members of their social or economic class, mm -hmm. but also just being wildly condescending, like, and almost like self-hating about it, too. Yeah, it's, it's very weird energy. Uh, and... and it ultimately, it also is weird because we don't see Abby at the NASCAR thing, so yes. it's a real zero stakes kind of plot to it. Like, I would have liked to see a payoff of that where she's at the thing and she, like, you know, holds herself well enough where the NASCAR people are like, yay, we love the first lady, you know? Like, that would be the payoff, one would think, right? Mm you know, or like she's crushing Beast Ice in the infield or something. Yeah, like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, or she's like, yay, she's relatable, we love her. You know, like, but we get no narrative payoff Nothing. to this. So it just becomes <laughs> that Annabeth is prepping the First Lady for something that we don't see. I don't know if it comes up in a future episode. I want to say no, though. 
I mean, I'm almost positive. I'll, it I'll give because... credit if it does, but I really doubt it. <laughs> well, no, because because it's they're wearing it on their sleeve here. It's that right. this condescension is the correct way to think about those poor backwards, right. you know, hill people. Yes, correct. It's just a matter of can Abby put on a good enough show for them to make them think that she actually likes them. Yeah, and so, like, you get this kind of back and forth of the kind of, like, is this identity appropriation is this just condescension and frankly it never really matters because it's just the writers being like oh i don't know we need to throw away like subplot yeah to make abby like we need time to fill that's all this felt like was like oh we got to fill five minutes uh i don't know who do we have today Kristen chenoweth and (laughs) um and stalker channing's back yeah yeah stalker channing uh they're they both are kind of sitting around the trailer with nothing to do why don't we throw them in a subplot like that's really what this feels like well, and honestly, like, the whole episode was that way because... Because mm-hmm. a lot of it was just like, let's give Leo something to do. What does he do? I don't know. He watches old speeches and then he gives a speech at the end. Yeah, and so, I mean, we have Debbie Fitterer <laughs> for a little while yeah, doing um, it's always delightful, always delightful to see um, Debbie, but yeah, it's just kind of like nothing happens like you said i love just one line old men have dinner in the notes because like fuck it's not not it's not just that they have dinner because we've seen that many times before and they talk about good stuff it's just that if at this dinner all they're talking about is like uh i have to eat shitty food now because of my health yeah me too it fucking sucks a goddamn low sodium diet. I can't even drink a scotch anymore. I want I want a cream sauce without people thinking it's a fucking suicide attempt. <laughs> like it's just old cranky men having dinner, and I kind of like it because at least it's refreshing from the rest of the episode. But it has the, nothing going on in terms of the plot. At least it's authentic. It doesn't yeah. read like it, you're desperately digging for something. Right, and that you're like, trying to fill time. This is something that Leo and Bartlett would do because they're friends. <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're friends, they're and, old men, and they're around each other. Fine. If, if you're going to give us nothing else, at least give us actors who have chemistry, you know, playing <laughs> no, off each sure. other. You know, at least that was at least fun to watch, even in in a a, uh, very, like, my dinner with Andre, the arcade game kind of (laughs) way of, like, tell me more, Mr. President. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So, and honestly, like, again, the end of the episode is just, like, Leo gives a speech and then changes 365 to 364. Right. And then they start writing down all their ideas about, like, we're going to do healthcare, but for real this time. And, like, no, you won't. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. This was excruciating. Yeah. I can't wait for the next episode where we get back to the campaign. Uh, That's right. and, we, and we abandon all this shit. And I think I think the writers kind of have the same mentality as you and me, because then we start getting more and more campaign episodes and less and less White House going forward. Yeah, I, I hope so. Because I think the writers are all about like, man, with the Jimmy Smiths and Josh stuff, we're having a lot more fun writing those episodes, you know? Yeah, and honestly, like, that's your stock and trade on a politics show. Like, yeah. ultimately... Ultimately, if you're constrained by the American ideological spectrum, the show can't fucking talk about right. anything substantial. Right. So a campaign is the perfect avenue for that because in a campaign, it is understood that you talk about huge, giant, aspirational ideas that you won't actually deliver on. <laughs> but it's more exciting to talk about them, at least, with with sort of the fervor and the 
and the gravitas that implies that something will be done, at least narratively. Sure, and and ultimately, like, each party and each candidate becomes a cipher for you to project whatever values mm-hmm. you happen to think that whatever, you know, political party embodies onto them. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, it's one of the few strengths of the West Wing is that everybody thinks it's about the thing that they like. Right. <laughs> like, I know, it's... I know... Bog standard Republicans who love the fucking West yep. Wing. I know Republican politicians who are obsessed with it. Yeah, and it's just like okay, cool. You can make All it. Right. You can make it be kind of about anything for the most part because of the way it was written and the, its refusal to like take a hard tack on basically anything. Well, and I mean to bring it full circle in a way, like that's successful for them because. Mm-hmm. In the media landscape in which we live. You want lived. as much people watching as possible. Yeah. Yep. So it becomes sort of tautological. Like, of course they can't right. take a particular stance because then, and especially nowadays, it's like Twitter's going to drag you and right. Netflix will cancel your, right. exactly. your next season. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. Uh, thanks again for listening, everyone. We always appreciate it. You can drop comments in either one of our threads. If you found the show a different way, hi, hello, welcome. And if you want, you could email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Nice. And we'll be back uh, soon to discuss the next episode entitled King Corn. King Corn. I love that corn. <laughs> this isn't at all relevant to the present. No. <laughs> all right, God everyone. Stay safe out there and uh, have fun. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. Bye. Don't spend all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on over.